Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. I want to take just a quick second and give you an update for our Unstoppable campaign. Uh, Part of our Unstoppable campaign is our ability to be incredibly generous throughout the city, to meet needs in the city, to do amazing things uh, for God with the generosity of this house. We can do a whole lot more together than we can do apart on our own, right? So when we work together, we can make a big difference. Uh, A couple months, or about a, a couple weeks ago, actually, almost maybe three weeks ago now, we met with invited Um, all of the different local charities that we partner with. Uh, We have over 25, I believe, 25 different charities that we partner with that we have in-house experts to help vet these different charities, missionaries, uh, outreach organizations that are meeting the needs inside of the city. And that is a massive part of our unstoppable uh, campaign and our unstoppable vision. That word unstoppable is the word that God gave me all through, for three years in my prayer journal, he was telling me about what he was going to do in the church that he was going to build that was an unstoppable church. God has huge plans for what he wants to do in this church and through your lives as we work together. Uh, We are exactly two weeks away from closing on this building. How exciting is that? So we will own this building. And, uh, and we will begin to move forward into all of the great things that we are uh, planning to do to turn this building into just an amazing outreach center for our community to meet the needs of people in the community, families. Uh, and that is the number one thing we're going to do after we own this building. Our very first project is we're going to revamp our whole children's uh, ministry, which is going to be incredible. Oh, the children's folks love that. We met with a company called Worlds of Wow. Uh, they design uh, spaces for children at anything from zoos to museums to churches to libraries, incredible interactive uh, environments for kids. And we're going to have just a beautiful state-of-the-art kids ministry environment for our children. And that's one of the things I'm most excited about. As soon as we uh, get past closing on this building, uh, we're getting some things put together. They're putting up drawings and ideas and concepts, and we'll be able to show that to you very soon. But let's go ahead and pray. We're gonna jump right into our series. Thank you for continuing to be faithful, for helping us with your pledges to help us to move this unstoppable vision forward. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. We ask you just to speak to us, God. We're not here because of uh, our desire to hear a human being and a human being's ideas. We're here because we wanna hear your voice. Father, I ask you that you would release your voice to us today, that you would speak to us in a powerful way, that you would communicate your full will to us, and that you would awaken our souls to the fire of your purpose and the desire that you have for us to walk in all of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Kingmaker. Kingmaker. And I'm really excited about this series. We're going to walk through the life of David and learn a number of different things through the life of David and the story there. But I want to take just a second and I want to just ask a simple question. When you think of a king, what do you think about? What comes to mind? What type of imagery? If you think of a king from a movie, do you think of King Arthur? 
I, I like to think of my favorite king of, of all the kings in movies is King, king Joffe from Coming to America. That's my James Earl Jones, right? That deep voice, my favorite king of all times. But we can think of a lot of different things. Obviously, we may think of uh, biblical examples because our Bible is full of kings. As Americans, we don't interact and we don't really think of uh, kings or a monarchy in that way. We don't have that experience here. There are other countries that are still on the planet that understand uh, how that works and they still have uh, those types of things functioning inside of their environment, but we don't think like that. When you were kids and you were playing and you were fantasizing about being something really cool or unique or, or whatever, uh, you know, I don't know, as a kid, some of us, we grew up playing cowboys and Indians or, or, or we're playing soldier and we're playing you know, bad guy, police and robber or whatever, all the different things that we would do as kids. But I don't ever remember playing king. I don't remember a throne. I don't remember a robe. I don't remember ever playing king. It wasn't part of the fantasy. Now, now, little girls, because of Disney, they're always playing princess, right? But most of them don't play queen. They want to be the princess. But this idea of us being royalty, maybe there is some type of a fantasy connection, but for most of us, it's so far-fetched, it's so far out there, that it doesn't even really fit into our psychological profile of what we could see ourselves to be. We may th think of ourselves as a, a star, a champion, an athlete, or, or something like that, but not a king, not necessarily royalty. But we have a king of kings that is our savior. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. What does that mean? Well, he's the king over all kings that have ever been kings over all the earth. Absolutely. Sure. But there's more. Because the Bible is very specific about the intention that God has. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had no, not obtained mercy, but now have obtain mercy. Thank God for mercy. I need more mercy. Anybody else need more mercy? The Bible says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. If you need mercy in your life, give more mercy. When you're driving in traffic, more mercy. Oh, that's the hard one, isn't it? A royal priesthood. That's a combination of two things. It's the combination of someone in charge in the secular kingdoms and someone in charge in the spiritual arena as well, a royal priesthood. Look at what Jesus says in Revelation chapter one, verse six, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. This is what John recorded from being in the presence of God as he has the revelation of Jesus Christ, that he has made us kings and priests. So we must understand that God is a kingmaker. It's who he is. It's his nature. God is king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And God has made us in his image and according to his likeness. You have inside of you the seed of royalty. You have inside of you the DNA of the king. Now, that's hard to imagine for a kid like me that grew up in Broken Era, Oklahoma, to think that I have royalty inside of my veins. I, I wasn't raised to see myself in that way or think of myself in that way. I'm much more comfortable saying, oh, I'm only this or I'm just that. I'm way more comfortable demeaning what I am as opposed to declaring what God says. Self-deprecating humor. How many times do we make jokes at our own expense? Jokes that God would never make about you. When God speaks of you, he only elevates you. See, the voice of prophecy, the voice of God is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. There are people that believe that if they're going to operate at the, as the voice of God, it's their job to tear down and criticize and call out. The problem is it doesn't match with the New Testament description of what prophecy is. Edification is to build up. Exhortation is to challenge and charge and inspire. And comfort is to comfort. It's pretty easy. God is a kingmaker. He has made you in his image according to his design. And he is transforming you according to his likeness. But he didn't just make you king. He made you king and priest. See, Jesus is both king and priest. And Jesus is the type that we are designed after. There's an image in scripture of a, a mystical individual named Melchizedek. Melchizedek shows up on the scene during the story of Abraham. Abraham, we remember, we call him the father of faith. Some of us grew up in children's church singing Father Abraham songs and marching in place. But Abraham was the first person in scripture that it describes as believing God and it being credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham follows God. God said to him, come, go to a land that I will show you. Abraham trusted God enough that he literally gets up and goes on a journey having no idea where he's going. And he convinces his wife to come with him. That's a miracle. If you can talk your, into, in your wife into going somewhere where she does not know where she's going, has no idea how to dress, how to pack, how to whatever, that is a miracle right there. Abraham was a persuasive gentleman. But Abraham has an experience where he and his nephew Lot were beginning to uh, grow too powerful, too close to each other, and their servants were beginning to argue. So Abraham says, look, we need to just spread out a little bit. We're becoming too large, and we don't want there to be any contention between us. It's too important. So you pick first, go wherever you want to go, and I'll go the opposite direction. And Lot looks out, and he sees this part of the territory in the valley that looks very lush. It looks incredibly uh, uh, prolific. It looks like there would be lots of opportunity. It was right next to these two uh, beautiful little towns called Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Lot goes and sets up his life in that valley. Abraham goes the opposite direction. Now there was a war that broke out and five kings came together and conquered and they took Lot captive. And all of his possession and all of his family and everything that he had, Lot was taken captive. So Abraham says, not in my house, not my family, and goes to his household servants and said, hey boys, it's time for us to go to war. And just so you understand how mighty the man chosen by God to be the father of faith was, he and I believe around 400 of his household servants went to war, pursued five kings and their armies, and defeated them, and got back all of the spoils. And as they came back with the spoils of war, having rescued Lot, his entire house, all of those things, a mysterious person appears to them, named Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot of different concepts or thoughts or theories about who this person was. Some people, because there's no trace of him before or after in scripture. Some scholars believe that it was actually called a, something called a theophany, where God appears in human form, where Jesus actually appeared in human form. Before he was born of a virgin, Jesus appeared in human form. It's the same type of thing that scholars believe when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long and prevailed, and at the end, the angel changed his name, and his name was that he had struggled with God and had prevailed. That's the belief of many scholars. We don't know, we can't prove, but that is a common belief. But this gentleman, Melchizedek, it says in Genesis 14, verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the high priest, or the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, Abraham, and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abraham gave him a tithe of all. So there's a picture here of Abraham initiating a covenant we have bread and wine, which are elements of a covenant that we see with Jesus, the new covenant, the New Testament. That's the picture of forming a covenant. And the second portion of the covenant is the tithe. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, who is the priest of the Most High God. And Abraham is a massively wealthy individual and gives him a tenth of all of his wealth. This is a huge offering. And it's a picture of covenant that exists pre-Mosaic law. So for anyone that were to think that tithing is Old Testament, Old Covenant, and it's not according, it's not for us anymore because we don't follow the Mosaic law, you've missed the whole point. Tithing started in the Garden of Eden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tithing continued in the second story of man with Cain and Abel with the fat portions of the firstborn of the flock. Tithing came into the story of Noah, where Noah brought specific things onto the boat that were going to be the first fruit, the tithe, to God's people. Tithe has always been a part of the story. When God creates covenant with man, tithe is always involved. Now you can and choose if you like to not believe in that and not participate in that, but you will miss out on massive blessing. You just will. Sure, it's up to you. 
but I'm going to be a part of the covenant of God that predates Moses, that predates all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. God wants to be first. God is looking for a certain type of individual to elevate, to anoint, to mark as king and priest in his world to do his bidding. He's looking for someone specific. So in this story, watch this, we see this person, Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. What does Salem mean? Peace. He was the king of peace, the prince of peace. He, he was also the high priest of God Most High. His name, Melchizedek, means my king is Sedek. Sedek was a name, and it means righteousness. My king is righteousness. We understand that Jesus is righteousness, the only access that we have to righteousness. So this is a picture of Jesus in ancient scripture where he is both king and priest and everyone that you see, Abraham had to operate as king and priest because Abraham did sacrifices, Abraham led a family, but he also had his own kingdom that was powerful enough to overthrow five kings and take all the spoils. So Abraham operated in a kingly anointing and a priestly anointing at the same time. Next week, I'm going to teach you specifically about the anointing, the power of the anointing, and we're going to have an anointing service you do not want to miss next Sunday. It's a commercial. Every time we see God pick someone in Scripture, he picks someone, handpicks someone that has both the gift the design of being a king, a type of king or ruler or authority in the earth, and also priest, someone who is spiritually literate and devoted. Every person he picks, we see in that capacity. Why? Because that is the prototype. See, as I grew up and came into a place of maturity of faith, I sat in churches where they talked and they taught about king and priest, and it was one or the other. And it's a bad doctrine. It's a bad doctrine. Well, Joel, I'm, I'm a businessman. I, I'm, I'm, I operate as a king. Joel, you're, you're, you're a minister. You operate as a priest. No, I'm both. Because I'm made in Jesus' image. And so are you. You're made in his image. See, if you say one or the other, if you, if you pick this one or that one, you let yourself off the hook. You don't get to let yourself off the hook. You have to be the priest of your home, gentlemen. Ladies, spiritual leader inside of your home as well. Every single one of us. It's not one standard for the preacher and another standard for everyone else. I'm not judged at a higher standard by God. I'm judged at a higher standard by you. Because there's only one standard. It's Jesus. See, that's one of the problems. Is people get all upset when pastors mess up. Pastors are jacked up just like y'all are jacked up. And we're all jacked up. We all have issues. We all need Jesus. Just some people, God makes them take a front position, and that's their role. But I have a priestly calling and a kingly calling. And so do you. And we don't get to pick one or the other. We have to be both. Because if we're not both, then we don't look like Jesus. See, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a husband 
and a father. I have to be both. If I'm not both, something suffers in my house. Something suffers in my future. You have to be a, a mother and a wife. Because if not, guys, I've watched. I've watched people pray, believe, fast, do everything, finally get that baby, that little gift from God, and elevate the baby over everything else. Over their spouse. Over church. Over God. Over everything. We have to be people that understand and learn how to operate in multiple anointings at the same time because that's how God has designed us to be. Now, it's also important that you understand that kingship is not automatic. Wow, that was loud. <laughs> it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. You're designed with the potential to become something amazing. But it's not automatic. It's not about just talent. See, we watch football on Sundays. I prefer football on Saturdays. I'm a college football guy. But, but we celebrate these athletes that have a lot of talent. But it's really, it's really way bigger than talent. Because some of the most talented people don't stay in the game. Some of the most talented people don't become the best competitors. Because there's another ingredient that you have to have. And in my experience, I trained thousands of athletes. I trained thousands of competitors in my early career. And there was something I was looking for that was more important than talent. And that quality I was looking for, we called it heart. They had heart. Because I trained literally thousands of people. And I watched some of the most talented people. Things came to them too easily. So they didn't value it. So when things got tough, they quit. Because they had talent. They didn't have the same character. And then I watched other people that had enough talent. Enough talent. Not the best, not necessarily, not the blue chip, but, but they had enough talent and they had so much heart that they wouldn't quit for anything. See, what I found is that the greatest champions were forged by finding an individual who had enough talent and a really big heart. What does heart mean? It means they're, they're daring, they're gritty, they're courageous. They're willing. They'll listen. They'll trust the, the people that God has put in authority. It, it means that, that they'll dig down deep when they got to dig deep. They'll be disciplined and they'll work hard even when other people aren't watching. They have a, a level of character that elevates their life. They had heart. See, the truth of the matter is your kingship's not automatic. God actually trains his kings. As we walk through this series, you're going to see how God uses life to train you 
to become who he's called you to become. Now, this isn't about you actually becoming a literal king or what. This is about you walking in authority inside of the realms and the rule of your life. This is about you walking in authority spiritually in your life. It's about you walking in authority financially in your life. Inside of your abilities and your expertise, you need to be a type of person. Guys, listen, there are a lot of people that shouldn't put the Christian fish on their business card because they do, they do slack work. I, I know people, I've got a friend in this room who says, I won't do business with Christians because he's been burned so many times by Christians. They, they, they put a little fish on something, but they're slack. They're half, fill in the blank. And they can't be counted on. And they don't look like Jesus. Because Jesus didn't go halfway to the cross. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the epitome of excellence. And if you're going to walk in the kingly anointing that he's called you to walk in, it's going to require you to move to a level of excellence in who you are and how you operate in the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Oh, see, there's lots of Christians that are really spiritual, and they're slackers. Because it's, oh, it's all about the spiritual. It's all about the spiritual. Mm, goosebumps. All about the spiritual. But they're slackers. They do half work, and they embarrass Jesus. That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> Move on from there. <laughs> Second Chronicles 16 talks about the type of person that God is looking for, the quality of the person he's looking for. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, here's the motive, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking, he's actively looking to make kings and priests of the most high God in the earth. But there's a qualification that he's looking for. Someone whose heart is fully committed to him. God is looking for people with heart. When you're looking to hire an employee, you own your business, you want employees with heart. You don't want employees that, that call out for a hangnail. I can't make it to work, it's raining. Oh, can I tell you pastors hate bad weather on Sunday so bad? Because that's when we find out who the tough Christians are. God is looking for a fully committed heart. A fully committed heart. See, the first king that we see God put over Israel was not God's choice. The first king that we see God put over Israel, God tried everything he could to talk Israel out of it. Because God knew what kings would do. He knew that kings would be 
selfish. He knew kings would create their own kingdom and they would idolize themselves. And so he said, I don't want you to have a king. I'm your king. But the people kept crying out, crying out, crying out for a king. So he gave him one named Saul. Saul was, the Bible describes, head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He was a big dude, good looking. And everyone's like, that looks like a king. But Saul didn't have the quality that God was looking for. And Saul began to fail God over and over. He began to disobey God over and over. And there's a place where God says, I regret making Saul king. 1 Samuel 13, 14 is a prophetic word from Samuel to Saul right after Saul disobeyed God in a big way. But now your kingdom shall not continue, he says to King Saul. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God, when he described Saul, said, I remember when he was still small in his own eyes and I could use him. One of the biggest things that you have to do is allow yourself to be small and God to be big. That doesn't mean fake humility. That doesn't mean self-deprecation. That means the same thing Jesus said, there's only one who's good, and that's God. It means to recognize that the only thing good in you is God in you. And I'm not confident in my own natural abilities. This is where people get off track and mess up their lives. They fall into a place where they get good enough that they can go on cruise control. This, guys, if you want to know what happens when pastors who used to be the most incredible spiritual leaders fail, it's when they get good enough, talented enough, that they don't have to dig for it anymore. They, they, they don't have to seek for it anymore. They're so talented, they can walk up on stage with a napkin and a couple ideas. And they get lazy. Because they didn't stay small in their own eyes. The thing I'm scared about more than anything else is Christian celebrity. I don't ever want to be a celebrity. I don't want anyone to know. I, I just want to serve Jesus and let's love people and I don't care to ever have any form of celebrity at all. That is the scariest thing to me. When I watch a preacher blow up and all of a sudden he's on the national stage and everyone this and he's this, the, oh, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. But it doesn't just happen to preachers. It happens to businessmen. It happens to businesswomen. It happens to any of us who no longer stay small in our own eyes and let God be the big one. So number one characteristic, quality, if you're gonna have a heart after God's own heart, is humility. Humility. It says in Acts, 
Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Next week, we're gonna dive in deep to the life of David and the story of David. But we see this as the number one qualification for why God picked David is that David, according to God, had a heart after his own heart. I'll, I'll talk about that more in just a moment. Because that in itself, what does that even mean? A heart after his own heart. But I found an interesting thing. See, David was a warrior, we understand, but he was a worshiper as well. There, there's a combination. Did you see it? He was a worshiper, priestly anointing. He was a warrior, but the kingly anointing. He was both. But I found an interesting list that was taken straight out of the scriptures, out of the book of Psalms. See, Psalms is one of the coolest books in the Bible because Psalms is literally David's prayer journal. You see all of David's weakness in the book of Psalms. You see, you see all of his low points. In fact, you might read the book of Psalms and think David would have a personality disorder because he could be in the same psalm and, and, and he's, woe is me, they're all around me like wolves tearing in my flesh, but you are my God. And, and, he, and he somehow he pulls out of the dive bomb, right? And it's like he's in this suicidal spiral and then pulls himself out. And he, he learned, according to scripture, how to encourage himself in the Lord. He stayed small in his own eyes and let God be the big one. But I found this list of 10 different places in Psalms where it describes the characteristics of David, and you can see it in his writings, and I don't have time to read all these scriptures. If somebody wanted this, we could copy and paste it somewhere. But he, just, he, he demonstrates in, in the book of Psalms that he's humble, he's reverent, he's respectful, he's trusting, he's loving, he's devoted. He gives recognition to God, he's faithful, he's obedient, he's repentant. You know the one thing that it never says about David? It never says that he's perfect. God's not looking for perfect from you. He gave you perfect in Jesus. He, he, he's not requiring perfection from you. Your perfection is in Jesus. He's the only thing perfect. We will always be flawed. Now, that doesn't mean that you will progressively get worse. No, you should be progressively getting better. You should be sinning less, right? It's not about... <laughs> if you ever make it to the place where you are 100% sinless, please teach me. But my goal is to sin less and less and less and less. But I still have to drive in traffic. It's hard not to sin driving in traffic. I still have to stay married. It's hard not to sin. You have to live with somebody else that has their own ideas. It's just real life, guys. I gotta interact with other people. People are rude. Gotta deal with all this stuff going on. It's hard to be sinless if you watch the news. God's looking for, for heart. He's looking for heart. See, it says in 1 Samuel 16, when, when, 
when the Lord sent Samuel, he said, to go and to look through the sons of Jesse and anoint one of them to be king in the future. He says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him, speaking of the oldest son that looked like a king on the outside. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the big question today is how is your heart? How is your heart? If you did a heart check, if you did a heart test, how's your heart? Is it innocent or is it jaded? And believe me, I've been both. Is it pure or is it offended? How's your heart? See, the Bible talks about God giving us a new heart. David prayed all through, his, all through his prayer journal. He prayed that God would purify his heart, purify his heart, purify his heart. What does a heart after God's own heart even mean? I think it could mean that it's, it's, it's a heart that wants what God wants. I think it could mean that. I think it's a heart that is tuned in to God's desires. See, God made you to desire certain things. And the more you desire God, the more you tune yourself into God and make God your desire, the more you tune in to the natural desires that he put inside of you that he wants you to want. See, it says that the desires of the diligent will be fully satisfied, that he delights in the desires of the diligent. God actually delights in your desires when he is your delight. How's your heart? How's your heart? We started off today with the story of Abraham. Romans chapter four, verse 20 says of Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. The reason God picked Abraham is because Abraham had heart. He had heart. See, Abraham didn't have an easy journey. He was 75 years old with a 65-year-old wife and no children. And God shows up and says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. Look at the stars. I'm going to give you more children. Look at the sand. I'm going to give you more descendants. But there were no descendants. And Abraham followed 25 years later. Isaac was born. 25 years later. And for 25 years, Abraham guarded his heart. He did not waver at the promise. Strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And God accredited it to him as righteousness. God's looking for heart. He's looking for those that are fully committed. He's looking for those that don't waver at the promise. Look, I understand disappointment. I understand heartbreak. I understand the loss of death. I understand abuse. I've experienced these things. God's not looking for perfection. 
He's not looking for the most talented. He's looking for heart. He's looking for someone that won't waver at the promise. He's looking for someone that will believe anyway, that will strengthen themselves in faith. They will go back to that innocent perspective. Guys, can I tell you, as a senior pastor, one of the number one things I pray is God help me keep an innocent perspective. Because when, when, when you're on the stage, you're a target. <laughs> help me stay innocent in my heart. I don't, don't want to be jaded. It's so easy to get jaded. It's so easy to get bitter. It's so easy to get hurt. It's so easy to, to, get, to, to, get the, to have the innocence stolen from you. And, and what God has called us to, Jesus called us to childlike faith. Innocent faith. All heart. Don't waver at the promise. My father said so. It's been a quarter of a century. I'm strengthening myself in faith. I know that he's able, and I know that he will. I'm fully persuaded, fully convinced. I want to have a heart after God's own heart. David's the only person in Scripture described like that. It's an amazing goal, though, to have a heart after God's own heart. I want what you want, Father. Can I lead you in a prayer today? Would that be all right? Father, I ask you in Jesus' name right now as we pray together. Father, if there's anyone here that has a hardened heart, maybe they've been through horrific disappointment, pain, trauma, abandonment, neglect, abuse, molestation, rejection, divorce, abortion, death and loss, sickness, persecution. It's a really good chance I named something that you've been through. And as you sit here or listen online, wherever you are, I want you to just imagine for a second, I want you to imagine being able to see inside of your body and see the condition of your heart. Maybe it's scarred, calloused, bruised, pierced. But I want you to imagine right now that the Holy Spirit and the healing power of Jesus Christ doing a miraculous work. And I want you to envision in your own mind your heart being fully restored. All damage, any poisons, all scars calluses completely removed your heart is made supple soft pure innocent by the miraculous work of Jesus Christ just pray this with me say father purify my heart purify my heart heal my heart restore my heart to a miracle in my heart. I don't want to be jaded, bitter, angry, resentful. I want pure motives. I want a pure heart. I want a heart after your heart. I'm asking you, Father, to give me a pure heart, to make my heart new, 
innocent, childlike faith. Father, help me to believe again. Help me to trust again. Help me to, be have, to have compassion again. Make my heart soft. Help me to forgive easily. Help me to forgive quickly. Help me never to hold grudges or stay in unforgiveness. Make my heart soft. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just say that. Say, Father, I give myself fully to you. Fully to Jesus. Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe you died for me. You paid for my sins. Then you rose from the dead, purchased my victory. I am victorious in you, and I will live for you. I'm fully committed. I'm fully persuaded. I believe, Father, you are able. I trust you. I give you my heart. Father, I ask you that you would move on behalf of your people that you would work miraculously in their lives, that you would open doors of opportunity. Father, you have designed them to be kings and priests in the order of Jesus Christ. He is our model. We're both. Father, as we go on this journey, train us, make us, into the kings and priests that you have designed us to be. Give us courage, tenacity, boldness. Let us have a heart after your heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.